Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. family today, Christmas music, Christmas cards, Christmas decorations, Thanksgiving leftovers, Cyber Monday. What's at the top of the list in your family today? Mine is how do you actually get back to doing all of the things that you need to do after like four days of not doing all of the things that you needed to do, or maybe closer to five days of not doing all the things that you needed to do. And what about that traffic yesterday? All right. Those are the things, frankly, um, kind of consuming most of us today. It is Weirdly, Cyber Monday, which used to not even exist and now exists, so that's a thing. Um, do you have any leftovers left over? If so, what's left over? You can text me. What's on the, what's on your leftover list? What is currently left over? And maybe we will figure out how to make something of that. You can text me at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. What's left over? And or you could text me. What's your favorite uh, Christmas? music, carol, hymn that you are looking forward to or listening to. Lori texted in a little earlier when I asked that question, and she said, um, have you heard Here Comes Heaven? It's her new fave. She says he's, she's also a fan of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, definitely one of my faves, um, awaiting the return of Jesus. Uh, can't help but wonder if it feels similar to what the folks felt while waiting for his first arrival. All right, so consider that with Lori and with me this morning. What did it feel like to live in the days, eight, ten months, a year, prior to the birth of Jesus? What did it feel like to live in the days of waiting, anticipating the advent of the Christ? We're going to spend some time talking about that this morning. But first of all, I'm going to talk about what's topping the news. So here you go. Topping the news this, this Monday morning. Topping the news is the good news of great joy for all people. Because after all, this is the season of Advent. This is when Christians put up lights to announce the birth of the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. This is the time of year we go tell it on the mountain that there is real hope that Jesus is coming the most extraordinary um, thing is about to happen and actually has happened and is going to happen again. This is the news the world is dying to hear. And so this is the news leading every Chiron on this Monday morning, right? No, because we're not dying to tell it. The world is dying to hear it. And somehow, someway, we're not dying to tell it. So as I surveyed the headlines this morning in anticipation of our time together, the fact that this is Advent and that we are now on the countdown to the celebration of the birth of Jesus was actually nowhere to be found. The word Christmas appears from time to time, but not in the same spirit as with which Christians speak the word Christmas or anticipate Christmas. Uh, Every news outlet, and I mean every news outlet, has some variation on this theme. 
everything there is to know about the Omicron variant of the SARS-CoV-19 virus is bad. But then they don't go on to tell you there's actually not that much to know yet. I mean, we know there is one, and we know they skipped over two other uh, Greek numbers to jump to this Greek number. But we don't know a whole lot else about the Omicron uh, the Omicron variant of the SARS-CoV-19 virus. And by everything they mean, quote, here's a quote, we don't actually know a lot, but we expect to know a lot within two weeks, and then we will know a lot, and we will expect most of that news to be bad. Okay, so let's all get ready. Here's what they're saying. Let's all get ready to cancel our travel plans. Let's get ready to endure a winter of disease and death. Let's get ready to expect the most virulent mutation of the pandemic virus yet. Um, that's what we should expect. That's the, that's the expectation they want us to have in the Christmas season. I mean, to be honest, they're just speculating. We don't really know very much yet about uh, about it because, well, frankly, there's not very much yet to know. So... All those headlines are just designed to whip us up into a frenzy to keep us tuning in to know more about the thing about which they don't yet know very much. So in a nutshell, here's what is known. There's a new variant. It has several mutations. It is already present in what I will describe as globally. We do not know its immune response. We do not know its transmissibility. We do not know its severity. And when we know, I will let you know. Okay, so let's pay attention to what ultimately matters. Let's get ready for Christmas. Let's expect the unexpected and anticipate miracles, recognizing that with God, all things are possible. We'll be right back. We got our stretchy pants on because we might have eaten too much uh, over this holiday weekend. And some of us are eating it again in new forms and new ways. So Kim says she's making a delicious shepherd's pie made with turkey. Um, She has added some sautéed garlic and some portobello mushrooms. And that sure does sound yummy. Anne is making Martha Stewart's twice-baked sweet potatoes. So that sounds yummy. Uh, Jane is making uh, a leftover shepherd's pie as well, but also turkey dumpling soup. And adds in that the song that she is most looking forward to during this season is Oh Holy Night. Yeah, Oh Holy Night is one, is probably my number one all-time fave. Um, So let us be people who uh, not only deal in the leftovers um, in terms of our meal planning, let's, uh, let's deal with what's going on. In our neighborhoods, in our families, um, there might be some leftovers from the conversations that took place or didn't take place in the last few days. Um, I know that uh, there are some in my family, some things I want to circle back around. I want to find a sensitive way to say to one family member or another, you know, I know that you did not mean it this way, but, um, you know, here's what was sort of going on emotionally with other people or how the things that you said about this topic were heard. And just wondering if there's some um, some ways that we might talk together about those things and be sensitive generation to generation or uh, based on geography and social location. Everybody's not in the same place, like, right? Like literally. But we all get together in the same place for events like this. And sometimes, you know, people are wounded, 
even in minor ways. And we need to tend to those because, you know, we do want to get together again in the future. So what is left over from your holiday weekend that needs some tending to? Um, So, yes, the leftover leftovers and then the leftovers we don't talk about, which would be those topics and conversations that we either stumbled through or know that we wounded somebody during. And this is a good week to go ahead um, and initiate a conversation and just say, hey, I've thought more about that. Um, I'd like to apologize if I hurt your feelings or stepped on, uh, you know, the way that you think about those things. Maybe we could talk about that going forward. Um, Reading obituaries. Is that a thing that people still do? Hmm. Reading obituaries. Is that a thing people still do? Do you know the name Virgil Abloh? Virgil Abloh died at the age of 41. And if his name uh, doesn't mean anything to you, then you're probably not paying attention to what is happening on the fashion runway around the world because um, Virgil Abloh uh, was a barrier-breaking designer. Uh, He was ultimately hired by uh, Louis Vuitton to become their artistic director. Uh, He has his own company called Off-White, and um, I would say that, you know, sometimes he's been considered controversial, but in the luxury world, he's considered iconic. And so I wanted to lift up a few things from his obituary for one reason, and one reason only. Nothing in this obituary matters. Nothing ultimately in it matters. Nothing. Nothing. The fact that everything he did, he did uh, for the 17-year-old version of himself. That's according to his wife posted on Instagram. The fact that um, those who worked with him described him as a workaholic who maintained a punishing schedule um, and even and moonlighted because there was never enough. Um, that doesn't matter anymore. The fact that he had an omnivorous creative mind, that doesn't matter anymore. The fact that there were... 75 brands who were asking him to bring his quote-unquote non-traditional personality to bear um, on carving new paths in an old industry, following no one's footsteps but his own. None of that matters anymore. The New York Times says uh, Virgil was incredibly good at creating bridges between the classic and the zeitgeist of the moment. None of that matters anymore. The fact that... uh, some guy at a Chicago boutique, boutique describes him as his personal hero. Yeah, this is a hero who, not speaking ill of the dead in any way, is dead at 41 of cancer, which is horrible and horrific, and we grieve for his family. But the one thing that ultimately matters about every person and matters in their obituary is how they responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is ultimately the only thing that matters. Disease comes. Tragedy, natural disaster comes. Death comes. But God has come as well. In fact, God has come in the person of Jesus, and the coming of Christ changes everything. And the only thing that is ever going to matter, that is ever going to be written or remembered about us, and certainly the only thing that matters between this life and the life that is to come, which, by the way, the demarcation between those two is the event of death, about which an obituary is written. The only thing that matters is how you responded to the offer of salvation, reconciliation in Jesus Christ, the free gift of God's grace. Have you put your faith in him? 
That is the only thing. It doesn't matter who you were related to, where you were born, who outlived you, who predeceased you. It doesn't matter what you did or where you lived or how much money you had in the bank. The only thing that matters in terms of your obituary is whether or not when God offered salvation in Jesus Christ, you dropped to your knees and said, I am totally unworthy, but yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, I receive it. I acknowledge my sin. And although it blows my mind, I acknowledge that Jesus came and died and rose for me. I will receive that gift this Christmas. Virgil Abloh was 41. We'll be right back. Here comes heaven. I think I am going to put this on my list of uh, of songs to listen to over and over again. Here comes heaven. I'm writing this down. So thank you, Lori, for that recommendation. Paul, thank you for queuing it up. Uh, Turkey Tetrazzini is apparently on the leftover plan. Turkey Tetrazzini. My husband can't wait for this. Yeah, yum. That sounds delish. All right. Uh, let's see. Scrolling through, scrolling through. That's all the leftover announcements we have on the text line so far this morning. What are you doing with your leftovers? I always like to know. I made a really yummy turkey soup last night. I also um, am making a ham and white bean, which is my husband's favorite because we have a ham hock from grandma's. So we brought it home. So that's going on. Um, all right. So Advent. Preparation for Christmas, a season of waiting. So let me ask this. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? Let's make this a big question. What do you want most out of life? What do you want most in life? What are you hoping arrives in the next few weeks? Some things we like to wait for, right? Like our anticipation rises, we feel energized, we're expectant, we're exhilarated. Like, right, that like hopeful waiting. That's one kind of waiting. I think that's the right kind of anticipation. Um, when you hear news like they're getting married or you're, you're pregnant or the whole family's getting together for a big reunion, those are the, the, we're supposed to have like joyful anticipation. Like we're supposed to feel energized and expectant and exhilarated by those things. That is not always how people respond when they hear even those very things. They're getting married. It sort of totally depends on how you feel about the person they're marrying. You're pregnant. Think about all of the ways people have responded to that news. The whole family's getting together for a big reunion. How do you feel about that? What are you expecting to happen? What do you feel about the promise of the coming of Jesus? How do you respond to the news that he's coming again? Mary was pregnant, and not, every resp- not everyone responded the same way to that news. Mary uh, was still marrying Joseph. Not everyone responded the same way to that news either. Mary's cousin, remember her, Elizabeth, also pregnant. Word about that had already spread through the Judean countryside. She and her husband were known to be very devout. He'd been mute since uh, the, the word of conception or the moment of conception. 
They were going to name the baby John, and not everybody responded the same way to that news. I mean, John, that's not even a family name. Why are you doing that? Waiting. Waiting. You know any pregnant women uh, this season? Waiting. The first trimester. I'm thinking of Kristen this morning. The second trimester. The birth of a baby. I'm thinking about Megan this morning. Thinking about how they're getting bigger and making preparations for the arrival of these babies. Mary wasn't awaiting the arrival of just any baby. Although Jesus was actually just like every other baby, he was also unlike any other baby. What's the last thing you can remember genuinely waiting for? I mean, you know, with sort of the instant gratification that comes with like Cyber Monday, we're not people who spend a lot of time waiting for things anymore. We're not, I mean, for the most part, people aren't putting pennies in a penny bank, you know, until there are enough pennies to buy the thing that they are longing for. Most people are buying it on credit. And I get that. But maybe uh, for you, the last thing that you really had to wait any time for was a prescription to be filled at the pharmacy. Did you wait patiently with great anticipation? Are you waiting today for an appointment with a specialist? Maybe you're waiting to hear from that preferred college to which you applied or graduate school or medical school. Maybe you're waiting for news from a friend in Afghanistan. Maybe you're waiting for news from a child or a grandchild from whom you have been disconnected for some time. Waiting, waiting. Consider just how long the people of Haiti have been waiting for things to change, or the people of Afghanistan, or the people of fill-in-the-blank. People wait for hope to come, and they by and large know that that help has to come from the outside, because the resources simply don't exist for them to free themselves or to free themselves from oppression or physical circumstances or their own pain or their own brokenness where they are. They can't do it themselves. Help has to come from the outside. They need a savior, and they know it, and so they wait. We don't really like that in America, and yet we need saving as well. I want you to read Luke 21, where Jesus talks about his second coming, where Jesus talks about what's going to be going on. Strange things will happen to the sun and the moon and the stars. The nations on earth will be afraid of the roaring sea and the tides, the, the, the rising sea. Does that sound familiar? They won't know what to do. People will be so frightened they'll faint because of what is happening to the world. Does that sound familiar? Every power in the sky will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will be seen coming in a cloud with great power and glory. And when all of this starts happening, stand up straight and be brave you will soon be set free. Are you waiting for that? That's how Jesus is coming again, not as a baby in a manger, but as Christ the Lord. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk with Dan Stringer about church, being in church and participating in church. But right now, I want you to consider joining me for reading through the Gospel of Luke between now and Christmas. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up to join us as we're reading through the Gospel of Luke during this Advent. We will eventually come to Luke 21, but we're going to start with the announcement of the first Advent, the first coming of Christ. But there's a second coming. He is coming again. Are you prepared for that? We'll be right back. 
Conversation about should I stay or should I go on the heels of uh, of, of John Stone Street's observations there about evangelicalism. We're going to talk with Dan Stringer about evangelicalism. He has been considering the conversation um, about why he wants to leave and what it takes to stay in evangelicalism today. The book is Struggling with Evangelicalism, and yep, we got copies to give away. You know the drill. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you're you know, struggling with that, should I stay or should I go? Question. We'll be right back. The Lord directs the king's thoughts. He turns them wherever he wants to. This is Max Lucado. Who's to say God doesn't have a reversal in your future? Don't be thrown off by the prosperity of the wicked. Instead, set your eyes on the author of your salvation. No individual, institution, organization, society, or country is beyond the influence of God. No one is beyond His sovereign hand. God still hears the prayers of the exiles and still uses the faithful to reach them. Are you in need of rescue? Are you available to rescue someone else? Either way, keep praying, keep trusting. Your story is not finished. Reversals happen, but you have to stay in the game. Mordecai did, Esther did, and their stories took a turn for the better. So will yours, my friend. So will yours. Very pleased to introduce Dan Springer to each and all of us. We're going to talk today about Dan's brand new book, Struggling with Evangelicalism, Why I Want to Leave and What It Takes to Stay. Dan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good to be on here. Thanks. So just to establish a little, you know, a little context before we jump in, um, you are living in Hawaii, which sounds like a great place to live. You spent part of your life there uh, growing up, I think, but you really grew up all over the world. So can you can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, your life and who you are and where you come from um, so that we can get to a place where then we can talk about sort of where we're all standing right now in the conversation of the day? Absolutely. Yes, my upbringing is pretty complicated, so I'll try to give you the shortest version I can because it varies a little bit each time. There's so many challenges with describing all the places I live. But I did grow up in Hawaii, as you mentioned, until the age of eight. I was born here. Uh, my mom is Chinese-American. My dad's a white American from California. She's from Hawaii. They met at a church and uh, started a, a church plant with a pastor that I grew up in until about age eight when we became medical missionaries to the Congo, which was Zaire at the time. But it first required a year of language training in northern Quebec, where we would learn French really quickly. So my first grade year was in French, and then second through fourth grade was in Zaire. Came back to Hawaii for fifth grade, and then we were going to go back to Zaire, but there was so much civil unrest that we got eventually reassigned to another place that needed uh, medical missionaries, specifically dentists, which my dad was, and that was Kathmandu, Nepal, in the Himalayas. So I spent what was my seventh, eighth, and ninth grade years there, 
but that wasn't it because I then moved to a boarding school in the Philippines for the last three years of high school while my family was in Nepal. So 10th, 11th, 12th, I was in uh, Manila at a Christian school for missionaries and then came back to the U.S. for, for college at Wheaton College in Illinois. All right. And then on to Fuller Seminary and then to uh, labor with InterVarsity, um, which is part of what you're doing now, but also serving as a pastor uh, at a church in Hawaii. So that is um, that is a lot. And I, I wanted, well, I wanted you to share that because I think that um, for many, many people, we have a conversation about what evangelism is or what evangelicalism is. And we have that conversation pretty much out of one social location because that's where we lived and grew up and what we experienced. And therefore, in our mind, that's what evangelism is and that's what evangelicalism is. And I just feel like because you have literally lived so many places and you have seen the gospel on display in the lives of people outside of the social location that a lot of people are listening from right now, that you bring something to this conversation that's pretty unique. Yeah, I think I definitely knew growing up that I wasn't a typical American kid, and most of my childhood was kind of spent wrestling with that question of where is home, maybe the first 20 years of my life, but then the second 20 years of my life has really been about where am I at home spiritually, and it turns out that that geographic diversity, growing up in different places, seeing the church um, live out the gospel in different ways, following Jesus in so many different styles of church. I think that's really contributed to the way that I uh, approach evangelicalism now, where we can see that, you know, no matter where we are, we are just in one place at one time in one um, way of doing church that has things in common with, you know, around the world, but is still unique to where we are. So we're talking with Dan Springer. The book is Struggling with Evangelicalism, Why I Want to Leave and What It Takes to Stay. Dan, who, um, if you could hand this book to the person for whom you wrote it, describe that person. This would be a person who has mixed feelings about this whole American Christianity thing, especially the, the Protestant evangelical version. There's probably been a mix of good and bad experiences. So it's not for somebody who's all in, everything's been great or all bad, everything's been terrible. But if you've experienced something where, you know, it can go from great to terrible and you've seen um, that variety and not sure what to do with it, this book can help you make sense of how that all fits together and and why the church can be so frustrating um, on one hand and yet at other times just incredibly life-giving where there's really nothing else like it. So here's what came through. Um, You love Jesus, and you love the church, and there are things about the way that we have represented Jesus or misrepresented Jesus and ways in which we have been the church that fall short of um, who you know him to be and what you see the church as called to be and do in the world. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely fair. Jesus is the reason we're we're all here as followers of Christ, and yet, you know, we don't we don't always live up to that. So it's a matter of trying to figure out where and why do we fall short, particularly if there's a pattern that's that's repeating over and over that impacts people who are are part of our faith communities. So I think the idea that we have mixed feelings about evangelicalism, um, for those of us who come out of some part of an evangelical tradition, even if 
Like I grew up in what I would now describe as mainline Christianity, but I did so in um, in the southeastern United States, which has its own flavor of what it means to be evangelical, even if you're in a mainline church. Um, I then came to a saving relationship uh, through the ministry of Young Life. And so that's really my, um, you know, my footing in the evangelical world is is through, you know, that particular ministry of evangelism. Um, I would describe myself as a very joyful evangelical. Um, however, I have a lot of frustrations um, about evangelicalism. Um, and so I, this book is, written to people like me. It's written for people like me who are, you know, trying to stay in an evangelical expression of the church. I happen to be Southern Baptist now. Um, but, you know, where there are things about evangelicalism with which I deeply, deeply am disappointed and sometimes disagree. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people like you, you know, the the faith is our, our home where we've experienced spiritual growth. We've come to life in Christ. We've experienced a community of, of faith on such a deep level. And yet there's this frustration with, oh my goodness, what are we doing? Are we part of this? Are we, you know, mm-hmm. part of the problem of, of what's going on? Are we, you know, able to hold it at a distance? What's our, what's our whole relationship with, uh, you know, the bigger, the bigger world of, of what's happening in Christianity at large? All right. So I want to unpack um, with you. We come back from a very brief break. We're going to un- unpack with Dan Springer these four postures, awareness, appreciation, repentance, and renewal. Um, because I think that uh, understanding these four postures helps us not only remain, but improve or take better care of the space where we find ourselves in the church today, in the world that God so loves. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, returning to our conversation with Dan Springer, the book is Struggling with Evangelicalism, Why I Want to Leave and What It Takes to Stay. Dan, um, let's unpack these four postures that you deal with in the book, awareness, appreciation, repentance, and renewal. Yeah, so the first one is awareness on a collective level. So we all know that it's important to be self-aware of our strengths and weaknesses on an individual level so we can build better relationships and understand how we impact people. Well, my purpose for that posture in the book with appreciation is that we do that on a church level, on a level of, you know, evangelicalism as a whole. Are we aware of our ourselves, who we are, who we're not, how not all Christians necessarily um, worship God the way we do with our particular style and emphasis? Yet we have some amazing strengths and gifts that we bring to the body of Christ. And so that's why it matters to be aware of who we are in particular as evangelicals. Um, from there, we get to appreciation, which is more of recognizing what we have to bring as our strengths, things like you know, a love for Scripture, a real um, commitment to being directly connected with God beyond just Sunday mornings, beyond just when we're in a church building, but the idea that our discipleship is uh, part of everyday life, 24-7. Um, from there, we recognize that, you know, we have things that are weaknesses, things that we have struggled with over time. Um, and so repentance is that third posture where we can um, move from not only saying, what did I do personally that might be wrong, but what have we done as a church, as 
an evangelical community that we need to turn away from, whether that's, you know, getting too caught up in the American dream and thinking that, you know, the way that um, America runs is, is the way that God wants it to be um, Amer- American exceptionalism or something like that, or whether it is certain patterns of um, getting involved with so much celebrity dependence and focus on who are, you know, the most, for lack of a better word, people with star power, you know? Um, so things that we can, we can change and realize that, you know, we're probably more prone to some of these things than maybe other streams of the faith. And then finally, like you said before, how do we leave this place better uh, for those of us who are staying, for those of us who want to see it flourish and become a more habitable space for, for folks, then that's what renewal is about. It's about creating an environment where people can thrive in their faith and where some of these negative patterns aren't so prevalent that um, impact people who, who want to be part of our churches. Um, let's just talk super practically um, for a moment, Dan, because you come to this conversation. I mean, you you know, you've already talked about this at the outset. You come to this conversation differently than um, than a person who maybe you know both their parents are white. They were raised in a traditional church. They were you know they were raised in the same community throughout. They went to an evangelical college and then they returned um, home. And you know, essentially, their life is not. Their community, their engagements are not very diverse. Let me just use that term here for a moment. There's a conversation that takes place in evangelicalism that is kind of an elitist, well-educated white conversation. But evangelicalism is really diverse. I mean, really diverse. Can you just address that for a moment, that there's these seemingly two conversations going on simultaneously and often not with one another? Yes, I think that's really important. I think one of the, the main points of the book is to distinguish between what is the very narrow brand of evangelicalism that people think of when it's, especially in election years, it starts to get defined politically as this kind of narrow group of folks who all vote the same way. And the reality is that evangelicalism, as you said, is so much more diverse when we look at it as a space. So that contrast between Evangelicalism, the brand versus evangelical, the evangelicalism, the space is such an important one because we see that geographically it really um, varies a lot. As you mentioned, it's really different in the southeast compared to the northwest um, of the country. It varies a lot Mm -hmm. by continent. It varies a lot by race and ethnicity. And so I think it's important that when people are in these conversations, that we just need to be aware of of who who we are, who we're speaking for, and how our experience might really be different from somebody across the table or across town or across the aisle in church. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Because of that, because of that variety, uh, there's so there's so much to learn. And um, I read recently that I think one third of evangelicals in this country are people of color. You know, and that number is growing when you look at the younger demographics. It's even uh, less white in a sense. So we have so much to learn. And um, there's a lot of great conversations happening just around that very topic, I think. In the uh, in the city where I live, there are 121 different international expressions of the Christian church. They're all evangelical, every single one of them. 
um, they don't fit at all into the American evangelicalism conversation that we tend to have. Um, and so I think that as, you know, as a third culture kid, as a person who <laughs> grew up in five countries on three continents, you, um, you know, you, I think you're going to have an ability to navigate in a space and in a time when we really need leadership in this conversation, um, you know, in, in terms of evangelical people here in the United States of America who aren't defined by a political agenda, but by a positive experience of Jesus Christ having transformed us and given us then, you know, this ministry of reconciliation, this message of the gospel, this, you know, this calling to be ambassadors of a king and a kingdom in the midst of a particular kingdom of this world. And so um, it's very, very refreshing. And I just, you know, thank you for the book, but thank you even more for sort of the space to have the conversation. Thank you so much, Carmen. I really appreciate you uh, saying that. And I really hope that this book is something that ministers to people who are experiencing those mixed feelings and can help us move forward into what the future of evangelicalism looks like as as the Lord leads us together. What a delight. Um, hey, I do have some copies uh, here in studio to give away today. If you've been listening to this conversation with Dan uh, Stringer and you're thinking to yourself, hey, I struggle with evangelicalism. I, I need some help navigating the conversation about why I want to leave and what it takes to stay. We would like to give the book to you. So go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. Dan Stringer, what a what a joy. Thank you so much for being with us today here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much, Carmen. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You guys can, um, can visit with Dan online, danstringer.net. We'll be right back. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Uh, I am, as an evangelical Christian, not only praying for revival, I am expecting God to send it. So what are you expecting this Christmas? What are you expecting this season? What is your great expectation, your hope? As you pray for revival, do you expect God to send it, to release it, for God to draw men and women children un- and children unto himself in unprecedented numbers. What would happen if the thing we were praying for, revival, what would happen if it actually broke out among us? I mean, if revival comes, if God sends revival, if 30 million, let's say, 10% of the U.S. population, let's just pick a number. If, I mean, that would be an extraordinary revival. And yet, you know, maybe I'm not even hoping for enough. Maybe I'm not anticipating enough. Maybe God intends to bring 60 million of our neighbors in the United States to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in the next three years. I mean, it, I mean, what would happen? Would the church be ready? Would your church, your local church, you as a member of the body of Christ be ready to receive new believers in that kind of number, in, in, in that kind of bounty, with that kind of spiritual harvest? Would we be ready to disciple them? 
Would we, I mean, they've never read the Bible. Would we be ready to read the Bible with them? Would we offer to do so? Would we be patient as they learned the names of the characters and the places and the storyline? They have powerful testimonies of transformation. I mean, imagine that. If millions of people came to Christ in the next week, months, years, they're going to have powerful testimonies of transformation. Are we going to make room for them to bear witness in the midst of our worship services? Are we going to be so committed to what's printed on that sheet of paper that we're not going to have room? We're just not going to have room for the revival God might send. They know people who are living in places and in ways to which we are not proximate. That's the nature of a new believer. Are we going to allow God to change the way that we reach out to our cities and our towns and our communities through new brothers and sisters in Christ who who have come alive to Jesus? We don't know the stories that we assume, they don't know the stories that we assume everybody knows. Not everybody knows Jesus. Let's go tell somebody today that he has come to set them free. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.